Welcome back to the Ed Morrissey Show podcast. Today, we're having a lot of fun here at Hot Air. We've got some great new writers in here, and they're doing a terrific job. David Strom, uh, Beach Wellborn, of course, Karen Townsend, who's been with us for a while, now full-time, and Jazz Shaw, John Sexton, myself. We're having a great time. Uh, we've got uh, Dwayne Patterson, Tom Jackson doing VIP for you. Uh, Tom should have something up later today, um, if not tomorrow. And uh, we'll see what he has to say about Florida politics. I know that Charlie Crist is giving him all sorts of material. So I'm expecting something pretty fun from Tom this week. Be sure to check that out. Dwayne yesterday had a great post about um, Ron DeSantis, the pluses and minuses of a Ron DeSantis 2024 campaign. He's going to be doing that with um, each of the Republican candidates. Next Monday will be Donald Trump. And he's going to be going through all the different speculative uh, Republicans who might be running for the presidential nomination in 2024. So be sure to uh, stay tuned for that. And of course, I've got my next uh, pod. Uh, my, it's not even a podcast. It's a video. It's a video show with Adam Baldwin. The Amiable Skeptics. We'll have that later in the week. Um, at least the first half of that, we're going to do uh, two posts for every uh, for every one of those because. Uh, we want to make sure that people can uh, digest this. It's a lot to take in in an hour. So we're actually going to split this up into two episodes each week, and our VIP members get exclusive access to that, so be sure to join the VIP. We've got other great stories, though, and they're in the clear. And i got to tell you, one of the most weird stories is really grabbing attention here. It's been grabbing attention overnight, all night long. John Sexton wrote a fantastic post about a very weird um uh, a very weird exchange between a, muse a museum curator and a writer for The Atlantic. And normally when we talk about The Atlantic, The Atlantic turns out to be sort of the bad guy in, in some cases. This is not one of those cases. <laughs> the museum curator is just uh, of the Guggenheim, or at least, you know, part-time uh, part at the Guggenheim, went flat out insane from a very normal, professional inquiry into a story, polite um, and uh, this was, uh, I, I don't even know how to describe this thing. I got a couple of emails from friends saying, this is completely bonkers. It is the story of the day, and it really is. John Sexton did a fun job of writing that up. I'm sure that you've already read it, but if you haven't, go check that out. Of course, the big news this morning, though, was the uh, consumer price index inflation rate. Uh, that was not anywhere near as good as Joe Biden has been trying to sell for the last four or five weeks. You remember that Joe Biden, after the July report, said, oh, we've achieved zero inflation. And that was because month on month, there was no change in overall inflation between uh, June and July, thanks to a drop in gas prices uh, that actually masked a whole lot of inflation going on anyplace else. But the year-on-year -year inflation rate was still high. And so that, and after that, they passed the inflation, the inflation Reduction Act, which was a whole lot more spending. Plus, on top of that, Joe Biden uh, pledged to spend up to maybe a trillion dollars in debt forgiveness. All of this took place in two weeks. And today, their bet on inflation appears to have backfired on them because it's still roaring. <laughs> inflation is still roaring. It's at 8.3% year-on-year. <clears throat> Core CPI, which excludes both uh, gas and food, and food is really, um, uh, inflation's on fire with food. Um, but even without food, core CPI hit 6.3%, which is its highest level in four months, almost to the record high that took place in April. And uh, wage erosion is continuing. These are all really bad numbers. And the White House, the response from the White House was, well, you gotta, you gotta give it some time to take effect. 
Well, that wasn't what they were saying when they were talking about this. And that was not Joe Biden's um, claim in the a month ago with the zero inflation claim. They said, well, we've turned the corner. It's peaked. We've hit, we've hit peak inflation. They've said that before, too. I believe they said it either in May or early June, saying, well, we've hit peak inflation. That's as bad as it's going to get. Um, and it got worse. And at the same time, don't forget that gas prices were still going down in August. I think uh, I saw it was around 10% <clears throat> that it had dropped. Energy prices overall dropped 5%. Um, and that's because while gas prices were, were dropping, <clears throat> electrical prices were still going up. And so Janet Yellen warned over the weekend that gas prices might start going back up again, at which point all these things are going to start getting back into the same stratospheric range that they were just a couple of months ago. So the White House has really talked itself into a corner here by claiming that inflation was um, was over with. And that was clearly what the message was supposed to be a month ago. Now they're actually holding, to, I mean, this is, I don't know who at the White House plans these things, but these guys have to be the most incompetent boobs in presidential history. They scheduled a celebration of the Inflation Reduction Act on the afternoon when the CPI report was going to come out in the morning. I mean, how dumb do you have to be to do that? Do it the day before. <laughs> Maybe not the day after, but at least don't do it. Do it sometime before the CPI report comes out. And I mean, the CPI report is it's not ad hoc. It was scheduled for this morning at 7.30. At 3 p.m., the White House is going to hold a rally celebrating the Inflation Reduction Act after a report that says inflation isn't actually reducing. It's actually still going up, especially in key categories, especially food, where, you know, this is the grocery store stuff. This is the stuff that you go to the grocery store and the prices keep going up. <clears throat> there was a calculation in the Wall Street Journal today that uh, over the past year, you are now paying an average of $460 more a month to buy the stuff that you bought a year ago. That's the wage erosion that we're talking about. Heather Long uh, put a, a chart out on Twitter about this, but we've been talking about this all along. Real disposable personal income has fallen five quarters in a row. You can go to the GDP report to find that out. And that is a compounding figure, right? It, you compare one quarter to the previous quarter. So even if you say, well, we got to 0%, you know, it didn't change. Well, you still have lost all that ground from the previous five quarters. Well, we've never actually even got to the zero mark. The last one, I think, was minus 0.6%, which followed a minus 7.8%, and on and on back to the second quarter of 2021, which was immediately after the big sugar high stimulus package uh, boosted um, income in the first quarter. And ever since, it's been declining. These guys are doing nothing but short-term political stunts in an attempt to distract from the fact that their economic policies are a disaster. And now <laughs> the Fed is going to have to clean up the mess by jacking up interest rates. The Wall Street Journal reports today that now they're start, the, the, uh, traders are starting to bet on a full percentage point increase in the next meeting because uh, Jerome Powell, just two or three weeks ago, was saying that he's going to he is going to go full guns on inflation because if he doesn't it's going to create all sorts of endemic problems in the economy and he's right i mean it's very corrosive it, it, again this is about the wage uh, wage erosion it's about all sorts of different things and eventually the markets have to respond to that and the, the market response to wage erosion is usually a wage price spiral and that's exactly what Powell is hoping to head off 
Well, today's report shows that we're not even close to heading this off. And so the Fed is probably going to have to start taking more dramatic action. And I explained this in the post. I'll just run through it really quickly. Uh, the PCE index, which came out two weeks ago, showed that the inflation rate on the PCE index, which is the key one that the Fed usually looks at, is still running around 6.3%. And that has to come into some sort of equilibrium um, with the interest rates before you can start driving um, uh, in inflation down. And right now, the Fed's benchmark rate is somewhere between two and a quarter, two and a half percent, and the other one's at 6.3%. Well, <laughs> it's not coming down. So they're going to have to start increasing their benchmark rate higher and faster than they've been doing in order to try to get a bite into that. And that's going to create all sorts of problems with capital investment. It's going to create all sorts of problems with, um, with production and demand. Rather than trying supply-side economics, which would expand production so as to meet the demand and then get back to price equilibrium, uh, the, uh, the Biden administration has been using stimulus, which, which increases uh, demand rather than supply. They're uh, proposing more regulations that end up limiting production and therefore supply. I mean, it's, it's the, it's the ass-backwards approach to an economic cycle of this type. And Powell's got no choice but to react to this. So I would say that the traders are probably on the right track here. It may not be a full percentage point. They still might do 75 basis points, 0.75 increase in the benchmark rate, uh, just because they may be a little afraid of going quite that dramatic. But the, but the truth is, is that you're going to have to raise these interest rates somewhere around to the maybe a 5% range before you start seeing the uh, PCE index and the CPI come back down to the 2, 2, 2.5% target rate which indicates a healthy growing economy. And if you can't do that through, you know, through regulatory and, and, um, and fiscal policy, you're gonna have to do it through monetary policy. I mean, again, this is sort of the, it's the reverse of what happened in 2009, 2010. Coming out of the Great Recession, the Obama administration expanded regulation. They put all sorts of obstacles in the way of production. What did the Fed do? They cut the interest rates down to zero. They kept them really below zero in, in an effective way in order to juice production and capital investment. And it took years for that to really take effect uh, to get the overhang out of the unemployment um, situation. That took until 2017 when people finally started getting back into the workforce. And now you've got that headache of all that monetary expansion that had to be done to counter bad you know, fiscal and regulatory um, policy. And now you've got to do it in reverse. You got to go in reverse to to counter what's going on right now. Um, and that's going to bring on a recession. The, the idea of a soft landing, Jason Furman talked about this uh, on Twitter today, Barack Obama's chief economic advisor at one point, uh, saying that the odds of a soft landing have reduced uh, after today's CPI report. And the reason why is because Powell now realizes he's got nowhere to go except interest rate hikes in order to get this thing under control because the Biden administration is going to continue to try to create money out of thin air, even without congressional authorization, in order to pursue its own political aims. So today, Joe Biden's going to have a celebration at the White House over this. Yeah, great. Um, that is, that is uh, a level of irony that even I <laughs> would not have predicted from the man I usually describe as, you know, 20 pounds of manure in a 10-pound bag. Uh, other stories that are coming out today, there's a ton of stuff. we got great stuff coming out today. Um, 
I actually, there's there's apparently a second Hunter Biden laptop that's floating around someplace. And I guess that the Bidens are waiting for it to be discovered. So go through your old boxes. Uh, there was uh, uh, Andrew Rice from New York Magazine was talking to Aaron Burnett last night about this. And I threw it up in the headlines. They got so much attention. I actually have a post coming up on this later today. Um, David Strom talks about the uh, about a union uh, about a union action against the New York Times and um, and uh, that's your daily dose of mainstream media schadenfreude. Uh, <laughs> uh, Beach Wellborn has a great thing about Matt Gates and Rebecca Jones. You got to read that one to believe it. And Jazz has just got some terrific. Um, uh, he's got some terrific posts up already. Um, he's um, and Karen's got some terrific posts up. Uh, Jazz Shaw is writing about uh, House Democrats moving to uh, torpedo Joe Manchin's deal with Schumer. And uh, that's gotten a lot of attention this morning, so be sure to check that out. Coming up now is my weekly chat with the Prince of Twitter, the Regent of Red State, Andrew Malcolm, at Andrew Malcolm on the Twitters, so be sure to follow him. Be sure to stay tuned. Also coming up, my weekly uh, editorial for Salem Radio uh, and Town Hall, and uh, that's in video format today. And then, of course, one last pitch for the VIP and VIP Gold Programs. Uh, Hunter Biden's laptop, I'm telling you, really should have you thinking about this because uh, we're going to go through this all again. And even the CNN segment sort of whitewashed the mainstream media's role in suppressing that story the first time around. And the only reason why we can hold them accountable is because we can get around big tech and the mainstream media here at Hot Air and, of course, throughout the whole town hall media group. So thanks for watching. I'm Ed Morrissey. Stay tuned for Andrew Malcolm. Welcome back to the Ed Morrissey Show. You just saw him right there, the prince of Twitter, the regent of redstate.com, Andrew Malcolm at A.H. Malcolm on Twitter, redstate.com, again, uh, is where he's at. He's here every single Tuesday to go over all of the uh, all of the uh, top stories and media analysis of the week. And Andrew, I, I know that I'm going, to, I'm going to set your mind to rest because I know this has been really worrying you. Yeah. No. And, okay. You know, as, as the as you can the, tell by the worry on my face. Yeah. I can. I can. You know. Uh, you know. Uneasy uh, rests the brow of he who holds the crown, or something. I forget. But anyway, yeah. I am going like to. I'm, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm going to set your mind at ease. Brian Stelter has found a job. <laughs> and I it's, know that that's contrived. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Don't don't tell me it's in the Ivy League. Very good. It is in the Ivy League. And yeah. he's going to be at Harv Harvard, Andrew. And do you know what his gig is at Harvard Shorenstein Center? No. Well, he is uh well, media, yeah, definitely. Because you know, Shorenstein Shorenstein Center is definitely media. He is going to convene a series of discussions, mind you about threats to democracy and the range of potential responses from the news media. Um, isn't that what got him canned over at CNN? <laughs> no. You know, unreliable sources gets a job at, at Harvard. Yeah. Yeah. That's there's, there's no, there's no, there's no shortage of irony in this situation. I mean, honestly, I, I don't begrudge the guy getting a job. I, I really don't. And I think it's, find that he ends up if harvard wants to pay him 
Lord knows they're sucking it out of their students. The reason why we have this stupid um, uh, academia bailout bill, you know, that, that's isn't that question. something? Yeah. And <laughs> no, what is the? They got a forty billion dollar endowment or something. Fifty-three billion dollar endowment. Fifty-three billion dollar endowment, so that they could afford to pay Elizabeth Warren four hundred grand for one class, and they'll probably pay a pretty handsome sum to uh, Potato Head. <laughs> yeah, to, to stelter for this series of discussions. At least it's not just being one or two classes. It's a, a series of discussions. What with himself? Yes, these discussions with media leaders, policymakers politicians and Kennedy School students, fellows and faculty will help deepen public and scholarly understanding about the current state of the information ecosystem and its impacts on democratic governance. Now, oh my God, the PR person wrote that one. Yeah, well, yeah, no kidding. But I mean, it's, it's got all the all the what's the word trigger words hallmark, in there. Hallmarks got all the hallmarks of a PR yeah. of a PR job. Yeah. So I mean, you watch reliable sources occasionally, right? No. <laughs> Neither did I. I just I was I hoping watched to, it, I, I watched it. I watched it when Kurtz did it. Yeah, well, and then Kurtz went over to Fox and he was doing it over there too. But um, but I, I've seen clips, right? But I've never actually sat down and watched the whole show just because it's I find Stelter incredibly annoying. Um, but nothing I saw in any of those clips. Yeah, we we both just we both just said, Oh, yeah, no, we're not gonna watch that. But um, these discussions with uh, are going to help deepen public and scholarly understanding about the current state of the information ecosystem and its impacts on democratic governance. Did you see anything that was particularly deep or scholarly come out of reliable sources over the last several years? No, I think the word is instead of deepen, I think it is to confirm liberal Ivy League conceptions of the media and those who dislike uh, its tactics. Yes, I think that's a good way of putting it. I think it is. I think it's entirely viewpoint confirmation time. Yeah, exactly, exactly. What what is that pre? Uh, what's that word? Uh, there's a there's a phrase. Preconceived called, notions. Yeah, preconceived. No, but it's. Um, uh, oh. I'll think of it. It's echo um, chamber. Echo chamber comes to yeah, mind. Yeah. Um, Exactly. But there's there's one where it, there's a phrase for confirming uh, what you already believe. Or what yes. You already, yeah. Yes. Anyway, it, go it, ahead. I can't think I can't think of it. They were bouncing it all over the place a few years ago while accusing conservative conservatives of it. Right. Which was yeah. and I can't think of it. I can't think of it either. Uh, but it was. Um, yeah, basically siloing or echo chamber or. Right. Uh, yeah. I, I know the I know the term you're reaching for, and I Re reassuring you that what you believe is fact. Yeah. Yes. So Brian Stelter, after having gotten fired by CNN because it decided that it actually wanted to focus on, you know, facts, <laughs> um, is going to go over to uh, the Schorenstein Center and um, uh, give 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 all the opinions that nobody was buying over at CNN. I mean, honestly, this is. Those who can't do teach time, I think, Andrew. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I, I've done some adjunct teaching. Uh, and uh, I, I think that's refreshing. I had, I had a, one of my most effective professors in college was an adjunct uh, who was a full-time news editor on the Chicago Sun-Times. And then 
uh, taught reporting uh, at in journalism school when I was, I think, a junior. And oh my gosh, the stuff I learned from him, the old pro. You know what he would do? You know, in the old days, um, uh, they had spikes, you know, everything came in on paper on the teletype and they had spikes for the things they weren't going to use. And they would take the piece of paper and put it on a spike. And uh, then at night, the janitor would throw it all away. Well, one night a week, Mr. Carno would take all of that stuff from, he was the news editor on the Chicago Sun-Times, would take all of that stuff from his spike and put it in a grocery bag and take it home. And on Sunday afternoons, I would go over to his house and we would go through the, the spike stuff. And he would tell me why he killed each one of those stories. Huh. What, what insight into the professional mind. Look, there's no first name in this one. Look, the age is different on two different pages. The age is different. Um, there's this, this statement isn't sourced. I mean, it was... Just priceless uh, um, insight to the minds of a real veteran. Uh, and I, I will always be thankful to him. He saved me so much grief in my later professional life because I saw it coming. Well, yeah. And, and this is the media doing its job, right? Which is to. Well, it was in those days. Yeah. Well, in those days. And this gets us into your VIP column uh, that went up yesterday. Uh, media are designing new ways to stoke Dem hopes, GOP fears for the midterms, which, by the way, actually dovetails into my VIP column today, but we'll get to oh, that good. in a second. Yeah. What's the head on yours? I'll look for it. Uh, the, head, uh, the header on mine, I'll tell you that in just a second, is NYT warns we may be looking at yet another massive polling fail. Here's what to do about it. Uh -huh. uh, I want to get to your post before we get to mine. Um, uh, and not just because, you know, because I'm, I'm the regent of red state, yes. You are the regent of red state. And so obviously rank has its privileges. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, this is part of, um, this is going to be part and parcel of, these, uh, of, of what I'm talking about too, which is that we have spent all summer being fed narratives about how the midterm fundamentals have changed since the Supreme Court handed down Dobbs especially, but also because... Joe Biden finally passed some sort of legislative package that was supposed to be super popular. And therefore he's, you know, he's going to be more popular and Democrats now have momentum going into the midterms, et cetera, right. et cetera, et cetera. Right. And, and gas prices surged 125%, but now it's only 78%. Yeah. Right. Well, that, that too. Right. Um, which, you know, Janet Yellen, Yesterday said, "Oh, by the way, they're probably it's probably going to go back up unless we." Yeah, can't yeah, I, 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 I tweeted that today. I, I, ah. But yeah. I, they're going to make sure that the petroleum reserve uh, uh, helps that uh, until yeah, November eighth. Yeah, yeah, that's that that'll work out well. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's not going to work out well at all. Um, but but I mean. <laughs> Again, I mean, this is this is what you and I have talked about, you know, lots of times over the years. Narrative journalism, where mm -hmm. where media outlets decide that they've got a narrative that needs to be, you know, fleshed out, needs to be published and supported, and and which is fine. Debated, debated, debated. Must, a debated. national debate on you name yes. it, race, whatever. Right. 
Conversation, I mean, conversation. That's the conversation. Word. Yeah, not a conversation. It's it's actually a monologue. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> and that's what Brian Stelter is going to do. <laughs> exactly, it's a monologue. It's I also want to do that um, that um, line at the end of that classic Twilight Zone thing. Remember the Twilight Zone episode where she shows up at the she shows up at the uh, spaceship and she's holding the book and she says, "It's a cookbook. It's a cookbook." Maybe you're not a Twilight Zone fan. But <laughs> the whole thing, the whole thing, the aliens show up and they 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 find this book that they're working from and they all they can only translate the, the title of it at first. And the title the title of it is to serve man. And they're thinking, oh, this is great. These guys are great. They're 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 wonderful. They're 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 here to serve us. <laughs> That's beautiful. I, I know at the end, it's a cookbook. It's a cookbook. Um, yeah. Um so yeah, it's a monologue. It's a monologue. Um, to serve to serve non-birthing persons. To serve non-birthing persons. Um, to serve to serve media consumers. I think uh, they have to they have to eat them to consume to to, to yeah, serve. Them. There is a whole ecosystem, and you get into a a rhythm, a mental rhythm when you're in it, as I was for decades. Um. And things in those days happened fast, but you had all day to confirm stuff if you worked on a newspaper. Uh, today, you've, you've got maybe 90 seconds and you got to go with it. Um, so things have changed uh, drastically. Uh, and and they, they have to have news. They think they have to have new stuff in the media. Right. Well, there isn't enough new stuff every minute to cover and to get enough clicks to pay all the salaries of the smart people like Brian Stelter. So they, they developed, and I, and I participated in this because it made sense at the time, there's a formula. So you ask a question, um, is American democracy being threatened by big tech? Okay. Right. That's, there's nothing happening about that. Nobody made an announcement. There's no new program. Nothing happened. But you come up with a question, and then you go out and talk to some people and get their quotes, and then you write a story. And then the headline says, is democracy threatened by big tech? And people think that's news. It's, it's manufactured is what it is. Right. Yep. And, and I'm not saying that's criminal. I'm just saying, as an as an informed news consumer, you have to understand why you're presented with the opportunity to read this kind of stuff. It's not because anything's happening. It's because they have an agenda. They ask a question about it that serves that agenda. And then you think that there's developments and things are gone going on all over the place. You know, is Donald Trump um, going to run again? Um, who's going to challenge Donald Trump? Uh, will that ruin the Republican Party? Hopefully. Uh, I, and then you get people to talk about it because there isn't enough stuff happening. A lot of stuff is happening. Not important, but a lot of stuff is happening. And um, when I first joined Twitter, uh, somebody, my, my boss said, uh, you, you probably should join Twitter. And I didn't know anything about it. This is back in 2006, right after it started. And I said, well, I really don't care what Ashton Kutcher had for breakfast. 
<laughs> no, that's Facebook. Yeah. Yeah, right. Well, that shows how much I knew. But of course, I've come to love it. Well, of course, because you're the prince of it now. So, you know, that's you're, right. That's right. Yeah. My, my people. Did you see that video of Charles on the weekend when he was going to give his speech? Oh, I mean, it's only like 10 seconds long. So he's all dressed up for his speech. He's coming to the desk. Yeah. There's, there's people all fluster, flustering around and people in, you know, British guard unit uniforms and all that. And he comes, he's got the script in his hand and he comes to the desk and there's a, looks like a pen holder. Yes. And yes. a pen sitting on the desk. And he's, he moves his hand, like flush this away. And he says, have the servants move this away. I can't be doing this. What? You can't, as, as the king, you can't put your hand there and move it over six inches. So the aide reaches in and moves it six inches. You know, I was prepared to give him the benefit of the doubt. He's a ponce, and I'm never going to feel fondly about him. Right. But uh, that just that just ruined it. Is that's that's who he really is. Have and if that's the word he used, servants. Have the servants move this. <laughs> you know, it's the monarchy. You know, and, I know, and our friends, I know. And our you know, it works have, for them. It works for them. It works yeah. for the Commonwealth for some of them. Um, and I'm not I'm not making fun of it. I'm just making I just was shocked by the attitude is what the old king is, what, you know, kings in the Middle Ages, I imagine, would be doing uh, like um, Mel, Mel, Mel Brooks in. Um, oh, yeah. It's history of the World Part One. It's good part to be king. one. Yeah, right. He squeezes the. the the courtesan's breast, and he says, "It's good to be king." It's good to be it, king. It's good to be king. Yeah. Well, it, and so it is good to be. Have someone move this. I mean, have the servants, not not someone, the servants. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, it does it does land poorly on American ears, especially. I would oh say. yeah, oh yeah. yeah. Our British ears, they you know, well, okay, he's the king. Okay, that's fine. I'm not. He can do that. Obviously, he can do it. He's king. But uh, I just, I'm, I don't know. We're, we're, we're kind of, uh, what, cousins? And so we watch those royal families with, with some interest, uh, mainly gossip, I guess. <laughs> you know, I, I, have, I actually thought his speech after that whole thing with the, yeah. with the pen was actually really good. And yeah, he didn't write it, but it's good. No, but you know, right? Biden doesn't write his speeches. Obama didn't write his speeches. You know, Biden it's, couldn't it's write his speeches. Right, yeah, yeah. Right, you know, they he can only use crayons. You know, so you know they don't. <laughs> Remember those notes Sorry. that he accidentally showed? Walk yeah. into the room, say hello, <laughs> sit down, Breathe. inhale, exhale, inhale, exhale, inhale. No, say it hello. Bad. It wasn't what? that bad. Yeah. No, it was. Uh, say hello. Yeah, say that hello was, was pretty bad. That was pretty yeah, bad. Right. And then sit down. What are you going to do with the empty chair? <laughs> Put it on your head? Jeez. Maybe he needs to be told. I don't know. I know. I know. But the, the implication in that is they know what we don't know, which right. is he's helpless. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. So, so you so, thought Char Charlie's speech was good. 
I thought it was, I thought it was good. I thought he did a good job. And I think that he, um, he needed to do, he needed to, he really needed to stick the landing on this um, for a couple of reasons. One is he's been preparing for this for 70 years. So, (laughs) you know, got a running start here. Yeah. You gotta, you definitely have a head start on all this, but the other is that uh, to your point, I think there are going to be a lot of questions that after, after the passing of queen Elizabeth, the second, who, everybody just had a tremendous amount of respect for, for all the things that she had, you know, all the, all, all the work that she had done, all the things that she had sort of, you know, weathered, if nothing else. Um, Nobody was going to question the institution of the monarchy while she was alive, because to do that would have been to question her standing. And I don't think anybody would have wanted to do that in Britain. I'm I'm talking about here, here, we, you know, say, ah, they should get rid of it. But, but I think, now that she's gone, you know, if, if Charles had fumbled this around or if they hadn't done anything right away, there would have, it would have, that vacuum would have created, I think some momentum yeah. for, yeah. for uh, a, a switch to small R, you know, Republicanism. Uh, which there means may, still, very different. There may it, still be some in some Commonwealth places, but basically well, and I think that who cares? There may still be some in the UK too. Um, so he needed to stick the landing. And I think he did. The other thing I think that he, stuck the landing on, and I think that um, fewer people really caught this, was that he echoed his mother's, you know, lifetime of service pledge, but with an addition about um, respecting the constitutional uh, limits. Uh, He didn't say limits, but basically the constitutional parameters of the monarchy, which basically means yeah, you know, all that stuff I used to do, all that activism I used to do, well, those days are over. Yeah, monarch, and I got to stop. Um, never mind. Yeah, well, not never mind, but just that that chapter is now closed. The new chapter is I'm king and I don't do that stuff anymore. And and I think that that's another way in which Charles was saying, look, you know, I'm I'm going to be my mom in this thing, basically. So uh, you don't have to worry about that. Um, you know, long term, he's a transitional figure. Maybe, maybe the British people are enamored enough of William and Kate to where they want to actually get to that stage to, to see how that goes before they make a decision on maintaining the monarchy. But, you know, I, I, uh, uh, I know some, some um, monarchists who think that one of the, of course, one of the reasons that Elizabeth wanted to hold the longest reign ever in British history was of course to, <clears throat> um, uh, what's the word? Uh, go beyond what Queen Victoria did, her term, her reign. Right. Yes. Um, and uh, but another one was that um, her husband was dis- uh, reportedly disappointed in Charles, and yeah. he was he wasn't uh, manly enough, a manly man, and um, was that to hold the, for the because she could have. Um, abdicated at any time and said it's time for a younger person but she didn't and so now Charles is older but he's in his 70s now right and 73 gonna be 74 later this year yep so um, not too late to run for president but uh, maybe maybe he's not uh, not going to be king for as long as he could have been and uh, then we move on to um the good son um william william 
Um, and uh, Andrew gets the Queen's Corgis. Yeah, I knew Andrew was in the doghouse after that BBC uh, interview, but I didn't realize yeah. how bad it actually was. He's actually in there with the dogs, as it turns. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was actually, I was, that's one of the things that I was pleased about, not her passing, but the news of the last week that, that um, those doggies who their whole life had been her and, and she had been yeah. in their life. Um, so they're going to be, uh, of course, they were never going to be out in the street, but um, no. they're just not going to be dumped off like, like Clinton did when he was done with his cats. Um, no. And the other thing about that too, and this was a, a really interesting angle on this and just mention it briefly, because I know that you're, you know, you're an animal lover. Um, she had stopped taking, uh, she had stopped getting new corgis about seven years ago. And she told, apparently she told people the reason why is because she didn't want to bring in new dogs that would get attached to her and then mm -hmm. have her pass away and have yeah. them, you know, mourn her passing and that she'd have, yeah. she has enough dogs right now and she loves them. And that's, that was going to be it. And so it's, I think it's, a measure well, it's an adjustment. I mean, they do the dogs. I don't know whether it's mourning or not, but they do miss their human. Um, it's, you know, they're built on routine. And uh, when the routine, they, they don't do the same things. They're not the same smells around. Yeah. Um, it's, um, it's uh, fretful for them. Um, so, yeah, so I'm happy they're going to be okay. Um, and, you know, the only thing about, uh, the first thing I knew about Queen Elizabeth, or what, she was, what was it, princess, I guess? Princess Elizabeth. Duchess, yeah, princess. She princess. But she, princess. When she was a princess was... Uh, my mother with the short wave when she was getting uh, coronated or crowned um, 1953. And so we had to get that scratchy. There's no satellite in those days. We had to get that scratchy thing from the BBC. Um, and that, so that was a big deal. It was a big deal in my family who were all Canadian. Uh, and the one, the only blemish on my memory of Elizabeth was uh, reading uh, that she had to be convinced to make a sympathetic statement when Diana died. Yeah, well, they had that whole movie about that too, The Queen, which was really a good movie. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think that, and I think if, if you watch, have you seen that movie, Helen Mirren? Please? No, no. It's very good. And I think that, I think that the way well, the movie a, framed this. It's not, it's not a documentary. Doctor. No, no, no. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a scripted movie. It's, it's yeah. very, it's very well done. And, and I think that the movie actually makes a pretty good case. I don't think it's necessarily um, completely sympathetic to Elizabeth, but, and it's certainly not sympathetic to Philip who comes across as a real ass. Um, but that this was a woman who was really caught by surprise by a, 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 a character change in the British public that she hadn't expected which was her expectation was, well, we're British royals. We keep the stiff upper lip. We, you know, we, we mourn in private. We don't make yeah. it business. And um, I think um, Helen Mirren did a really good job of making her sympathetic mm -hmm. in, in that movie and that position sympathetic. Um, she's so good. It, oh, she's Helen Mirren's just fantastic. Um, so I would recommend it. If you want to, if you want to look at that, I'd also recommend, of course, Andrew's VIP column. Um, 
Just to close the loop on this, by the way, in terms of midterm narrative um, journalism, I think that this Nate Cohn thing over at the New York Times is really good in reminding people that the media seems to be not learning a lesson about the polling issues that took place in 2020, 2016, 2014, to a large yeah. extent, 2014, yeah. um, and how the pollsters all missed Republican strength in each of these elections, even in 2020, right? Because in 2020, people were expecting uh, Democrats to expand their um, their majority in the House. They were supposed to expand uh, their majority, you know, get the majority and expand it in the Senate. And and Biden was supposed to win in a more or less a walkover, and none of that ended up happening. Biden wins, but only just very barely. Yeah. Um, House Democrats actually lose seats, which is the first time that you've that we had a party win the presidency but lose seats in the House in at least a century. And um, and the only reason why Democrats ended up with the Senate majority is because Republicans shot themselves in the foot in Georgia. Otherwise, yeah. it would have um, otherwise they wouldn't have gotten they wouldn't have gotten control of the Senate. And um, and so this again, I think, is about media narratives. It's about trying to it's about trying to convince people that oh, Democrats are are bouncing back. Uh, they're super enthusiastic. The Washington Post actually, Philip Bump actually did a good analysis of YouGov data showing that the most enthusiastic. I, I'm not sure if we. I, I don't think we had a chance to talk about this uh, since this came out. But you know who the most enthusiastic demo is in YouGov polling over the summer? Tell me. Republican men. Mm -hmm. Enthusiasm among Democratic women and Democratic men has actually ebbed during the summer. But you'll never hear that except no. for the Washington Post, of course, which, you know, again, kudos to Philip Bump for actually writing about this. But yeah, and he's a he's a predictable liberal writer, too. So that's quite a coup. Yep. For him. Yeah. Well, it's it's you're right. And then we come back to that phrase that I was trying to think of, which I still can't think of. But that uh, the pollsters, even even though they're professionals and often very good, uh, are looking for things that confirm their beliefs. Yep. And 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 the results subtle subtly turn out to be wrong. And yes. Uh, it's it's one thing to change an algorithm. It's another to change your belief of what you're looking for. Uh, yeah. And uh, so, yeah, people need to remember that. And the Republicans also, or conservatives also need to remember to go and vote. I mean, I had a column back in May saying, hey, things look good, uh, but don't don't get cocky. Yep. And, no, know, I agree. don't 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 cut don't count your stuffed ballot boxes before they're created. <laughs> you know, historically, no president has ever been underwater and his party gained in his first midterm. No. I mean, that that's just doesn't happen. So all the fundamentals are in place for history to be repeated. Yep. The fundamentals. But, that's what I told people in my post. Focus on the fundamentals. The fundamentals are Joe Biden's unpopular, the economy stinks, and crime is up. Those are your fundamentals. And inflation. <laughs> Talk about that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. All right, Andrew, we're coming up to the end here. I'm not sure if you've got oh. jokes of the week this week. Well, I, I think I think I, I might have a couple. Well, we, I, I, but my phone has shut phone. down. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Uh, 
Um, so, uh, okay, so these are all old, but um, uh, Jimmy Fallon uh, replay, he says in his Labor Day speech, President Obama complained that the GOP talks about him like a dog. Joe Biden got up to agree and Obama said, Joe, sit, stay. <laughs> Roll over. <laughs> so, um, so uh, Jay Leno replaces government statistics show the U.S. economy created zero jobs in August. President Obama now says he's confident this month he can double that. <laughs> uh, you know, these, these may be old, but they're still good. They are still uh, good. Yes. Seth Myers, he says, according to a new study, according to a new study, antibodies from llamas may prevent infections from coronavirus. And of course, now you can't find any llamas at Costco. <laughs> Man, I was just in the llama aisle too. I, you know. <laughs> llama, llama, ding dong. Llama, yeah. llama, ding dong. Well, that's, that's us, llama, llama, ding dong. <laughs> Andrew Malcolm, of course, is the prince of Twitter at A.H. Malcolm. And the regent of Red State, redstate.com. Andrew, as always, great talking with you. We've got to do this again next week, though. Okay, we will. And I'm going to keep my crown of prince, my princely crown. Thank you. You should keep your princely crown. There is no there is no heir apparent to this, by the way. No, Just no, everyone no, know. no, 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 no. It ends. The line ends with me. Thanks, Ed. Thanks, everybody. See you later. See you later. Andrew Malcolm, stay tuned for just another word from the Ed Morrison Show coming up right now. This is Ed Morrissey of HotAir.com for Town Hall. That warning sign is flashing again, wrote poll analyst Nate Cohn for the New York Times this week. Democratic Senate candidates are outrunning expectations in the same places where the polls overestimated Mr. Biden in 2020 and Mrs. Clinton in 2016. Cohn warned that the polling disasters loom yet again largely because, and I quote, most pollsters haven't made significant methodological changes since the last election. All of this despite their failures. So, how should conservatives approach these poll results? First, don't panic. Recent polls based on likely voter models, which even yet may not be adequately calculated on Republican enthusiasm, show a red wave coming in November. Most importantly, focus on the fundamentals. Democrats in the media want to shift the election debate to Donald Trump and ultra magas, but voters will go to the grocery store and gas pumps a dozen times each before election day. They are thinking about inflation, crime, and Joe Biden's terrible performance. Don't let the polls or legacy media discourage you. Register, plan ahead, and follow through and vote. I'm Ed Morrissey. Thank you for watching and listening to the Ed Morrissey Show podcast. Be sure to subscribe at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and YouTube to get alerted as soon as new episodes get published. You can support the Ed Morrissey Show and Hot Air's VIP reporting by becoming a VIP member, too. Visit hotairvip.com and use the promo code SAVEAMERICA, all one word, for 40% off your membership. Choose VIP Gold and gain membership to access to all of the town hall sites. Thanks again for watching and listening.